Welcome to Calvary Chapel Faith Fellowship with Pastor Jim Swigert. Let's open our Bibles up to Colossians chapter 2. I love our worship time. And I love how the songs, the lyrics, as we sing to the Lord, you know, he ministers to us. Amen? And we continue it, worship as we get into the word, but, you know, worship is not just simply singing to the Lord. It's a time that, you know, we get to minister to him. And then he also meets with us. And I'm reminded through those songs this morning, which... I'm convinced those songs were picked just for me this morning. You know, there's a lot of things that go on behind the scene of setting up for Sunday morning. And it's like everything for me went wrong this morning. But then I'm reminded as we're worshiping the Lord, we should expect things as we step out in faith. And, you know, yesterday we had our first official engage outreach through Calvary Chapel Faith Fellowship. And when we go to the front lines, the enemy hates it. And when we want to go out and, and minister to people and share the gospel of Jesus Christ with others, we can expect warfare out of the simplest things of life and, and simple details. And so I'm reminded uh, this morning that it's not about us, it's about him, amen, and what he wants to do. And I, I, I have no doubt that he has a word for every one of us this morning. I'm so thankful that we're in the book of Colossians. And again, just as the Lord sees fit, the, the worship time, the songs, the lyrics, the mindset, everything just connects with his word. It reminds us that we, we're hearing from him. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And we pray now, Lord, that for your Holy Spirit to teach us your word as we continue to chew on what you gave to the Apostle Paul to the Church of Colossae and how your word is so relevant even for this day, the things that were being warned of to the body of Christ then are the very same things that you warn us of today. And so, Lord, help us to, uh, with the power of the Holy Spirit, to, to beware of these things that we see and that we read of, Lord, knowing the days that we are living in, Lord, uh, we need you. We need your strength, your wisdom, your vision. And so, Lord, we pray also that as the Apostle Paul encouraged the body of Christ, that you, Holy Spirit, would encourage us through your word that the Lord Jesus Christ would be glorified. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. So as we have been looking in our study of Colossians, the Apostle Paul was warning those precious saints at Colossae, warning them of the false teachers and uh, the teachings that they were peddling, and they were a threat to believers. And I, I read that this week, uh, a phrase, a threat to believers. And we certainly experience things today, right? The, the, the vain philosophies, the, 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 the teachings of the world or the elementary principles of the world, they come against us, bombarding us. And even also, you know, through, through warfare, through 
uh, the enemy whispering his lies to us that, that go according to the world rather than according to Christ. And so all this is relevant. I don't have to tell you that, but remind you that everything that we see, uh, you know, Paul warning the believers then, the Holy Spirit warns us of. And also we're exhorted to beware. Beware of those false teaching because there's that potential to drive us away from the Lord. And we're saying through Colossians that it's all about him. It's all about Jesus, the supremacy of Christ, the preeminence of Christ. And we're reminded through the Holy Spirit last week, as Paul was uh, sharing with them, that we are complete in Christ. How many need to hear that daily? We are complete in Christ. Amen? We are complete in him. And Paul reminded the believers and showed the examples of we are complete in him. Look at circumcision, the, the spiritual circumcision made without hands, the circumcision of Christ. And that's a reflection or pointing to a picture of what Jesus did at the cross. And at the same time, the spiritual reality of baptism, spiritual baptism, that we died in Christ, we have been buried in Christ, and we have been raised in Christ, as the scripture tell us. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And I love that, right? We have become new and we're still walking out the newness of life, amen? Because it's the resurrected life that God has called us into. And we can always, again, go back and look at the cross when we are being tempted to, to believe in the lies of the enemy. But when he whispers the lies of the enemy, we, can, we are complete in Christ because of the cross. We have been you know, circumcised by Jesus. He, he cut away the flesh, the consequences of sin, and we are born again, having experienced that spiritual baptism. So now, all that to say this, leading up to verse 16. So let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbath, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. So it says so. So it's like, therefore, everything that has been already presented is in connection with what Paul is about to say. It's building the blocks here. So then, since you've experienced a circumcision that is in him, since you have experienced the spiritual baptism in him, and since you've experienced the victory that Christ gave to us through the cross, we are freed from the consequences of sin, and we are set free. Amen? We have been set free to live the resurrected life. Jesus said, he who the Son sets free, he is free indeed. The resurrected life, the life of victory. You know, I'm reminded of that scripture as we experience warfare, how the, and uh, Peter mentioned that it, the enemy is like, the devil's like a lion prowling around seeking who he can devour. But we have to understand, yeah, the, the enemy is like a lion, but he doesn't have any teeth. He has no power over you and I as believers whatsoever. None. Zero. And I love that scripture back in verse 15. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. The battle's been won. The war's been won, but we still have to experience 
And it's amazing, the life that God calls us to experience, a life of victory, the life of being in Christ, is in a world that is filled with darkness and chaos. But yet we're still called to live this resurrected life. Amen? And it says here, so let no one. So let no one. And this is, in context, referring to an identifiable group of false teachers, the the Judaizers and, and others as well, as they came and remember we talked a little bit about this last week, they were prone to judge Christians, telling them that they needed to keep the law, both to Jews and Gentile Christians alike. And uh, is, it, is it that we should remember that in that first century, the church was made up of mostly Jews at the beginning and then Gentiles came in and uh, and so there, there was that influence. But Paul specifically says here of them, let no one judge you in food. And food here probably refers to um, the Old Testament dietary laws. And then we have drink, probably referring to, uh, you know, the, avoiding alcohol like the priests would do uh, according to the law. And then festival is the requirement that all males make that pilgrimage to Jerusalem during uh, the major feasts. And then the new moons, pointing to uh, wanting everyone to observe the Jewish ceremonial uh, calendar. And, and these things, so it all goes kind of about what we talked about last week with, with the law, keeping the law. Now, again, the law wasn't bad. The law is not bad. But the law was never made or given that it could bring man salvation. The law given to us to point a need of a Savior, a need of Jesus. We also see here Sabbaths, Sabbath days, which would include the scriptural and the extra scriptural teaching coming from these false teachers and on the observance of, of Sabbath. And so simply put, they were saying for you to be a Christian, you must convert or at least um, perform or adhere to keeping the law. And we're going to see Paul go on, he says, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is Christ. The purpose of these shadows, if you will, all pointing to the coming Messiah. And as we read through the Old Testament, there's always that foreshadowing of the coming of the Messiah, but Jesus is the substance. All these other things were not the real thing. And unfortunately, there are those even um, within the umbrella of Christianity who fall into that Hebrewism to, to think they must keep the law, including the dietary laws and all. All the law, all the shadows that we see in the Old Testament pointing to Jesus. And it's interesting to do a deep dive into the different shadows. And uh, just to name a few of them, the sacrificial lamb, as you know, the lambs that were offered for sacrifice, all pointing to Jesus. Amen? Amen? Okay. The, what about the manna from heaven, a picture of Christ? In fact, let's turn to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. Verses 49 through 51. Listen to these words of Jesus. 
Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes from, down from heaven that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. And so again, pointing to Jesus being the substance, whereas in the Old Testament, such as manna, pointing to the Messiah. And then, of course, the Passover festival, um, also a picture of Jesus, as Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7 through 8, he mentioned that Christ is our Passover. Jesus, again, pointing to and building upon what Paul just said here from the scriptures, Jesus said, you search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me. And then what about in Luke chapter 24, verse 27, speaking Jesus, at the beginning of Moses and all the prophets, he expanded, expounded to them and all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Matthew 5, 17. Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. And so as Paul was refuting the Judaizers and others that were uh, you know, judging these believers at Colossae of keeping the law, if you want to be saved and truly saved and really follow God, you must keep the law. And so Paul is bringing up these things that certainly they would have known pointing to Jesus as the substance. And then he goes on to say, let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, including into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. So interesting, as words are important, we have the second time that Paul uses the word cheat. And that word cheat, again, speaks of being something of treasure being taken away of or being led captive into. And another word we might think of is the word defraud. Defraud. Now, certainly the enemy is a fraud. And false teachers bring in all their teaching, no matter what false teaching it is that goes against the word of God, it's a fraud. It's defraud. It was interesting yesterday, uh, a couple of us went uh, to the casino over there in Monroe, right? Now, I know what you're thinking. Wow, the pastor gambles. No, that's not what I'm saying. But it's interesting how the enemy is so clever that on the big screen that you can't see from the road, but it's just nice green. It's got, um, you know, lights and it grabs your attention that you can be a winner. Just come and play the slots. You can be a winner. You have a chance to win this F-150 or $35,000. So it's portrayed as one of the two that you're going to win. And then as we were praying in the parking lot, you saw people coming in there. You had elderly people coming in there. You had young people coming in there. 
And a horrible picture I saw was this gal being pushed in a wheelchair coming into the casino. And it just reminds me how the enemy is such a liar. And it connects with every false teaching is that he promises things that he can't keep. He lies to us. He's, he's a thief. He robs. And this has in mind what the enemy, he cheats. I think of our young people today living in this country that we love that is in much chaos. Our young people are being cheated. They're being cheated. All these different things bombarding them in their mind. All trick of the enemy. And, and God can even do this to believers. Excuse me, the enemy can do this to believers when we allow him. Again, the enemy has no power over us. And Paul's going to give us the great example or the how-to. Do we grow in the Lord? Again, these false teachers are saying, you need to do this. You need to keep the law. You need to do these things that you might grow and be really connected to God. And here Paul's talking about in verse 18, he's talking about the mystics. You know, those who were worshiping angels, certainly Gnosticism back in the day, but also we have the relevancy of the days that we're living in here. The influence of New Age, Eastern philosophy in our world. Even within the church, much New Age thinking and teaching and, and really, as all false teaching will do, move us away from God. That's, that's the enemy's ploy, to get in between us and God. And it's interesting here, taking delight, excuse me, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels. False humility. The Gnostics were claiming to have such a sense of unworthiness that they had to, and they're, again, worshiping their angels, believing that there were angels that we could connect with or man could connect with in order to connect with God because we're so unworthy. And so they were teaching these or trying to influence the church in such things. Do we have that today? You better believe we do. Especially, again, through New Age teaching and then the false humility. False humility is like somebody saying, well, I'm humble. I'm humble. Do you see how humble I am? I, I pray all the time and uh, I, I get connected with, you know, the angels. And the New Age teaching, you know, some of us are borderline old enough to remember that in the 60s and maybe 70s, the oneness, you know, the Shirley MacLaine, the oneness. You got to get connect to the cosmos. You connect to the universe. And because we're so unworthy, we can't do it on our own. We've got to connect to these angels that will take us into, you know, reality with God. And we're so unworthy. And we've got to take these drugs and these crystals to get our minds so we can enter into that realm of spiritual experience with the oneness of the universe. These are the types of things that were being infiltrated in the church. And it's things that are being infiltrated in the church today. Thinking that somehow that Jesus isn't enough. And again, in all this in context, Paul's saying we are complete in Christ. We don't, there, 
Jesus has given us everything that we need to have that relationship with God, the creator. We don't, we need, we don't need to, to, to search for some other way. Again, with this dreams and visions that they were uh, claiming to have, it's nothing more than pride. Again, going back to that silly little example, I told you a person being humble, saying that they're humble, false humility and all. If you have to tell somebody you're humble, you're not humble. It's really pride. And if you've got to tell people how unworthy you are and all the religious things that you do and show that you're spiritual, that's pride. That's false humility. The truth is, if we remember 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, Paul said, For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. There's no need for angels. There's no need to seek some higher reality. And that's what these new age philosophies, you know, you're trying to reach that oneness through Brahman and Altman. I can't remember all those, what they actually mean. But the thing is, in all those false religions, you never attain. You never get there to where you're pursuing. That's the victory that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ, what he has promised us and offered to us, and that when we can you know, surrender to him, he's given us everything that we need for that relationship with God. We've already been circumcised by the hands, uh, made without hands. We've been baptized in the spirit, a spiritual baptism. We, we, we've given everything we need. There's nothing that we have to work for. Not to be confused with obedience. But Paul's point here is so true for you and I today. We are complete in Christ. And then what about Hebrews chapter 4? Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. A powerful scripture. I love how John explained a scripture today that he goes to. Do you, what about you? Do you have go-to scriptures? Somebody nod yes, please. Okay, thank you. Oh my goodness. Ugh. Of course we do. So, you know, we're getting used to one another, right? So when I ask a rhetorical question, you're allowed to answer. Where were we? Oh, yes. Go to scriptures. Here's a go-to scripture. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. These are scriptures that we can count on as truth, encouragement, leading to action, that because of Jesus Christ, we can come not just weakly, but boldly in power, come to him in full assurance, full confidence that he's opened the door already for us through the cross of Jesus Christ, his burial, his resurrection, right? 
The temple was torn. We have full access to God. And that goes directly against the false teaching that was coming through the Gnostics, the mystics. Jesus is enough for us to go to the Father. And anything that keeps us from going to him is not from him, it is from the enemy. And again, this is how he gets us, right? He whispers, he lies. Certainly contextual, it's through false teaching. But anything that gets our mind that I'm not worthy enough to come to God after being a born-again believer, that is not from God, that's from the enemy. And we can claim these verses. Speak forth the word. Jesus said, it is written, it is written, it is written. And then two, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one goes to the Father but through me. And it says here in verse 18, Paul says, intruding into those things which has not been, has not seen, vainly puffed up by the fleshly mind. Again, all this spirituality and declaring how spiritual they were, all pointing to nothing but pride. Everything, certainly we believe in dreams and visions, right? Certainly scriptural. The New Testament, we see God using visions and dreams, but every vision and dream needs to be measured by the word of God. You know, especially with the, the New Age philosophy and them doing all their psychedelic drugs and everything. Sure, you're going to have dreams. You're going to have visions. You have all kinds of things. It's not of the Lord. And the enemy gets a hold of a mind that's not rooted in the word of God and truth will play havoc. And you can read testimonies of those that have come out of that mindset, demonic mindset, the Eastern philosophies. And they'll, they'll tell you how demonic it is and even how they witness the power of Satan. Not that we're saying that he's not powerful, he's a liar, but he has no power over the believer. And then Paul goes on and then he says, in verse 19, and not holding fast to the head, from whom all the body nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments grows with the increase that is from God. So here's the issue. They're not holding fast to the head. Any religious influence, if you will, that's not connected to the word of God, not connecting to the head. Again, this goes back to verse 8 of chapter 2. Just let me read to you. Beware, lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. And so Paul says here, here's the issue. Not holding fast to the head. Not holding fast to Jesus. And Paul, again, warning the, uh, these believers, these false teachers, they're going to promote their views, they're going to promote their beliefs, they're going to promote their doctrine. They're going to tell you, yes, okay, you've come to Jesus, that's great, but here's how you need to grow. Here's how you need to get to the next level. Here's how you need to get to the next place in your walk with the Lord that, that you're progressing. Now, certainly God tells us in 
instructs us to, to grow in our faith. We need to be growing in our faith. If we don't grow in our faith, we get stagnant. If we don't grow in the Lord. And that has to be done by being connected to the head. How do you grow? Well, we grow by the word of God. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2. As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. What about Ephesians chapter 4 verses 15 and 16? But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. It's a broken record, I know, for this audience. But a good reminder, if you're not growing in the Lord, how much you... How much are you intaking the word of God? How much are you connecting to the head, taking hold to Jesus Christ as the head of the church? It will always go back to the word and your walk with him, your fellowship with him. I think just the scriptures that I pointed out here tell us that God expects believers to grow in the body, connected to the head to fulfill his mission and purpose here on earth. The simple things, being in the word, fellowship, prayer, those are essentials. And the enemy comes against us, right? The easiest thing for a believer to do is to pray. But doesn't the enemy tell you that you don't have time to pray? Anybody get that? You've got all these things to do. Just you don't need to pray, just do these things. It's for the Lord. <laughs> and about what about your devotion time in the Word? And then what about fellowship? Can we grow in the Lord if we don't fellowship with one another? No, we can't. So these Judaizers pushing the keeping of the law, and then you had the mystics, you know, declaring how they were experiencing such a great spirituality and telling these believers in Colossae that you had to adhere to these things, that you would grow. Now we come to another group. Some might call them the legalists. Look at verse 20. Therefore, if you died with Christ, from the basic principles of the world, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourselves to regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concern things which perish with the using according to the commandments and doctrines of men. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom and self-opposed religion, false humility, and neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. So there were this religious group known as the, or 
as a, a view, asceticism, practicing a spirituality, again, trying to convince the Colossians that you have the Lord, he's your savior, but here's how you need to grow. You really need to deny your flesh rigorously. You need to deprive yourself. You need to, to work on the physical in order to show the spiritual. And so then we probably see this throughout the world that those, uh, especially around you know Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday, you'll see all over the world and how people are actually nailing themselves to the cross thinking that they're some, doing something that's pleasing to God, thinking that they're uh, you know, experiencing some kind of religious experience. And Paul tells us here, God tells us in his word, that's false humility. And ultimately, it's feeding the flesh. Any religious mindset, and it doesn't have to be religious in nature, I guess, to think that you're doing something that is good by not doing something. Let me give you a Example. Not eating food, thinking that you're doing something for the higher good. That's just an example. Anybody ever do that? Or uh, I, I can remember reading of uh, people in foreign countries and whatnot. They, they'll show their religious spirituality by not sleeping on a mattress, laying on a concrete floor. Dave did that in Haiti. You can come up, I'm telling you, the flesh is wicked. The fl we come up with so many different mindsets that if I do this or that or that, then I'm doing something good. And then we can get in there and, you know, if I don't eat this cheeseburger today because I'm trying to do good things, you know, the flesh gets goofy like that. And that's what Paul's saying here. This asceticism of trying to deny flesh and proving that you're spiritual, that's not of the Lord. But we need to be careful as Christians that we can develop a works theology, thinking that I can do certain things that are, Again, not to be confused with obedience. That if I deprive my flesh in this way, then I'm showing that I'm spiritual. And the enemy is so clever. He can get us to, to go down that way. But let's look at these things that Paul talks about. If that wasn't clear, you'll probably experience this week of your flesh. to show You're, you're showing that you're spiritual in some way. And then you'll know what Jim was talking about. Do not touch. Probably refers to adopting a restricted diet of some sort or all in order to feel closer to God. You know, we are to take care of our bodies. I remember Pastor Chuck teaching that as he grew up in a, a more legalistic mindset, he would feel guilty when he would eat hot fudge sundaes. He would really feel guilty eating hot fudge sundaes when he's at the movie theater. <laughs> But there were those that were saying you need to give up certain foods that you might feel closer to God. And then do not handle. That connects with those with the mindset that, you know, all things material are evil and that you shouldn't have those things then. 
You know, God's given us material things for us to enjoy. It's okay to have a speedboat. Well, a boat, maybe not a speedboat. You know. <laughs> it's okay to have things as possessions as long as they don't possess you. But the mindset here is that you shouldn't have things because that wouldn't be right before God. Do not touch. Technical language for practicing you know, sexual abstinence. And it didn't matter if you were single or married. Now, for certainly for unmarried folks, sex would be sin. But for married folks, for, to abstain from that does not line up with the scriptures. And so all these different things, the legalists do this asceticism, um, you know, pointing, these are the things that you need to do to be spiritual. I remember growing up, and uh, this came to me this morning, and I don't know if I should share it, but I will um, anyway. But I remember sitting in church, and, you know, again, the flesh does goofy things. And this is when I was probably fifth or sixth grade. And it reminds me of the, a picture of the word asceticism, to rigorously deny flesh or do something to show that you're spiritual. I remember they had this little game. We were sitting in church, and I didn't even go to church all the time. I just went with a friend so we could change, trade baseball cards. That's why I went to church. But they said, you know, there's a thing we learned at school called the sissy test. And you would scratch your arm with a coin until it would scab up, bleed, and then it would scab. And the next day you would show how cool you were by having a scab. That's kind of a picture of asceticism, that you, you do things or you give up things to show how spiritual you are. But Paul says these things, it's self-imposed religion. And the flesh loves, even without the help of the influence of false teaching, self-imposed imposed religion. Now, on a lighter side, I know we got some Buckeye fans in here, right? How many of the Buckeye fans wear your lucky socks or your lucky sweatshirt or your lucky hat? None of you. <laughs> we don't need it. Okay. Again, just to point out, the self-opposed religion goes beyond just the flesh is goofy. We come up with things and then we try to think that we're doing something, whether it's good or it's just self-imposed religion. We do it with the flesh. So abstaining from certain foods seem to enhance the, the desire for food. We talked about this Friday night in Bible study. It's like when you fast or if you fast, some of us can go without eating for a couple days, no problem until you tag on your fasting. You want to fast for the Lord. You want to fast for, for a reason or a purpose. And then it's like the first two minutes of into your fast, your belly's growling, uh, you're starving, uh, and all these different things. In the same way, when we put act in, with self-imposed religion, and we use food as an example, if I'm trying to give up food, to be spiritual, doesn't it always come up with a way or any other way 
any other example, if you will, it becomes harder because ultimately you're, you're just trying to feed the flesh. And it's self-imposed religion and it's false humility and there's no value against the indulgence. of the, There's no value. So what Paul's saying here in all these things, you don't have to do. You don't have to adhere to a religious system. You don't have to keep the law. You don't have to seek oneness with the creator of the universe because you already have oneness with him through Jesus Christ. Amen? Paul says something here, uh, again, to go back to verse 19. Not holding fast to the head. Not connected, connecting to Jesus. Turn with me to John chapter 15. I think many of you know the story of several months ago when the church plant was spoken of and prayed about and confirmed. We had the most awesome men's retreat. Uh, and Brian Hill and I were able to, to talk with some senior pastors that walked with the Lord a very long time and filled with great wisdom. And um, one of them was Bill Gallatin, who is like 86 now and still traveling the world doing men's retreat telling people to stay connected to Jesus. You are complete in him. And I remember that Brian and I were like two little kids, can't, couldn't wait to talk to him to get his mind of the church plan. What wisdom do you have to give to us so that we could fulfill the will of God? And I'll never forget, Bill just kind of like, <laughs> just stay connected to Jesus, Jim. We have this simple message of Jesus Christ. Our greatest need is Jesus, our Lord and Savior. He went to the cross. He died for us. He rose again on the third day. We have life in him. It's not just religion. It's life in him. It's living the resurrected life, connected to him and his spirit. He's given us everything. We are able to do this, not on our own works, not on our own effort, but because of what he's already done. And all these different religions that Paul was telling us to beware of, the Holy Spirit telling us to beware of, we just need to stay connected to the head. In John chapter 15, Jesus said, verse 1, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. This is a good thing that the Lord prunes. It's never good feeling his pruning. But why does he work the way he does in our life? Why does he discipline at times? Why does he cut away those, those things that we don't need in our life, that we got to experience then. He wants us to bear fruit. He wants us to bear fruit for him. Verse 3 says, You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine who are the branches. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. 
If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. I just love that as a whole summary to chapter 2 of what Paul was talking about. Because I know the enemy is lying to some of us, if not every one of us. You're not doing enough. How could you call yourself a Christian? How could you be called to go help with the church plan? All that, brothers and sisters, is nothing but smoke. We're called to abide in him, to hold fast to him, the head. And you know what? There's times that we're not going to see fruit. I'm probably not the one to be talking about uh, pruning and fruit. My green thumb skills have really been lacking and demonstrated lately. But I know this, as you and I connect to him, he gives us all the nutrients, every resource that we need to what? To be super Christian? Nope. To bear fruit. Who knows what fruit is coming from your life? We don't have to listen to those that you're not doing enough or you need to adhere to this kind of philosophy. You need to do church this way. You should set the sanctuary up this way. You guys should be doing this and doing that. You should go there. It's all smoke. Let's stay connected to him. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, uh, although we, we don't, we don't have Gnostics around us per se. We don't have the, uh, the Judaizers uh, coming down our throats. We don't have the mystics. We don't, we don't have a lot of asceticism and their teachings around us, Lord. But the enemy is lying, Lord. And I pray for my brothers and sisters here, Lord, and whoever might be listening or watching, Lord, that your spirit would remind them that we are complete in you, and that you call us to bear fruit. You call us to be connected to you, to hold fast to the head. Father, you are a great hope. We thank you for who you are, what you've done, and what you're going to do. Lord, I pray that you bless my brothers and sisters this week as they say, connected to you, abiding in you in all things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.